one of us find ourselves in environments where there is opposition, opposition to our faith, opposition to how we see things, maybe just our comments, our perspectives, our thoughts on certain things, and we are just like Paul in the story that we're about to read. I don't want us to sit back and say, well, that's Paul in Corinth. It's like that's Paul with those super apostles, those guys who came in to undermine who he is. Well, we're in a culture that is undermining us the whole time. Every time we step out our front door, it's like we're declaring war. Let me just say it again, because it sounded pretty cool. Like every time you step out your front door, you're declaring war. And the followers here that we read about in this portion of Scripture, the church that was gathering together in Corinth, were in a sense getting a bit deceived, feeling like actually things are good. These super apostles, actually they're great. They're amazing people. They're gifted they make us feel good. They make us feel like, oh, we, we're amazing people. Paul seems quite, he's got issues, that guy, Paul. Always harsh, trying to hold us to a specific line, trying to keep us accountable to certain things. Actually, maybe, maybe these super apostles are better people. We'll throw our money at them. We'll attend their gatherings. We'll buy their books. I was gonna say buy their tapes. I don't know how many of us were around back then, hey? Oh, man, I remember after every preach on a Sunday, sitting there with a little tape thing with four tapes, and you take the original one, you put it at the top, put all the blank ones in, and you press record. That's way back. Guys, don't worry. For those of the youngest, go and Google what a tape was. But Paul finds himself, and I think he's, Maybe for some of us saying, well, Paul, why are you trying to defend yourself the whole time? Why are you trying to defend who you are? And ultimately, we need to realize that Paul wasn't there to try and defend his honor. He was defending the gospel. He was defending the gospel, the good news. Because in a sense, so often, and we see it wave after wave, generation after generation, the, the strategy of the enemy is to water down the truth of the gospel. If he can get us to believe that we can continue as we are for the rest of our lives and attend church and be part of a community and just love each other and drink some coffee after a meeting and maybe if you're lucky because you're the visitor, you get a free brownie, that's okay. And Paul is lifting up the expectation of these people to say, guys, do not lose sight of the gospel. I've grown up in the life of church. Man, the church down the road has a cool pastor. Man, these guys have a cool venue. I want to be part of that environment because the worship's amazing. I've been caught up with all the expressions of local church, and often I have to bring myself back to a place, often it's in moments of loneliness, to say the gospel is enough. The thing that sustains me is not the fact that we have a cool vibe on a Sunday. The thing that sustains me Monday to Friday to Saturday to Sunday is the fact that the gospel, the, the good news is enough for me. And it's enough for us. And why I say that is because it in itself is the only thing that can shape us and mold us to become more like Jesus. 
the good news of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, knowing that he was the son of God who came to live upon this earth, he died and he rose again. That is ultimately the gospel in a nutshell. And we are able to give our lives to a resurrection gospel. It's a gospel that speaks about life. It's a gospel that speaks about a future. It's a gospel that speaks not of the personalities that carry the gospel. There's only one personality, and his name is Jesus. That's the only one. The only one. When the credits roll at the end of the movie, there's only one name, Jesus. Not Mark was a good servant, and John, yes, he did well on Friday night, pushing those weights, like, yeah, he did so good. If you missed Forge on Friday night, man, woo, you missed a thing. I want to encourage you next time, won't you come? You see, it's in these places that we find ourselves in where I think we can be led to believe that the gospel is all about making me feel good. It's all about a better me, a better mark, so that I can wake up and look at myself in the mirror and go, mm-hmm, you look good. Ephesians 2 verse 8 to 9 in the NIV says this, for it is by grace you have been saved. Only by grace. But surely there's a bit of working that we need to do. Salvation, no. It's only by grace. How? Well, through faith. What is faith? Is it mustering up something? It's a gift from God. To be able to give ourselves to a place of complete dependence and reliance on Him. And this is not, for, not from yourselves. It's, it's not that I can conjure it up. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Three words out of that portion of Scripture. It is by grace, this beautiful word of grace expressed to us. Faith, man, you can't do this without any other way but by faith in who He is. And ultimately the boast that is so important because if it's by grace and it's by faith, then we boast in Christ. But if it's by worth, works and if it's by effort, then you boast in Mark McKinley. Oh, you're such a good Christian. Oh, it's because I have a quiet time every morning. I read my Bible. You know, when I, when I get to a parking lot, I pray in tongues and, and God opens up a way. Oh, yes, especially when you go to Lindudno Beach. And you're trusting for a parking right at the end. And you laugh at these people walking past you. <laughs> and then you do a U-turn and you park at the top as well. <laughs> See, Timothy Keller puts it this way. He says, God sees us as we are. He sees us as we are. He loves us as we are. I want to just remind you, no matter what you've done, God loves you. Period. He loves you as you are and accepts you as you are. Surely you won't accept me, Mark. You know what I've done. I don't know what you've done, but he knows and he accepts you and he loves you. But this is the crux of grace. But by his grace, he does not leave us as we are. If you are the same today as you were a year ago, I don't believe you've given yourself to the true grace that doesn't leave you there. He doesn't allow you to, 
to continue to squander your life and destroy yourself. No, no, no. When Jesus is engaged in you, it's about altering something of who you are into something of who he is. He is committed. He hounds you. I've been in those moments where I start vibrating. It's like, Mark, what are you up to? It's like you're about to sin, and the Holy Spirit is like saying, Mark, would you just restrain yourself? And I sit and go, God, I have to surrender again to the fact that I'm a nobody, that I'm broken, that I'm weak, that I cannot do this in my own strength. And he says, of course you can't, but I am present in your need, in the position you find yourself. I am present. You need to acknowledge that in this space, I will not leave you here, but I'm going to take you on, and I'm going to move you on. So this morning's title is titled this, Ultimate Confidence in God's Act of Grace. His grace is not stagnant, it is active. And so let's turn in our Bibles to 2 Corinthians 11, verse 16. We're going to be reading the first portion in the New Living Translation, uh, but we're going to continue in the ESV after verse 21. It says in verse 16, it says, again I say, don't think that I'm a fool to talk like this, but even if you do listen to me, as you would to a foolish person, while I also boast a little. Such boasting is not from the Lord, but I'm acting like a fool. Can you just see him there? Like, actually, I shouldn't be boasting, but I'm going to boast because I actually want to act like a fool because he's setting his listeners up. And he says, and since others boast about their human achievements, who are they? Super apostles. I will too. After all, you think you are so wise, but you enjoy putting up with fools. You put up with it when someone else enslaves you, takes everything you have, takes advantage of you, takes control of everything, and slaps you in the face. I'm ashamed to say that we've been too weak to do that. Just see his cheekiness. Like, we could have slapped you around. We could have boasted about stuff, but obviously we're too weak. You're too gullible, but man, we should have upped our game because we could be slapping some people right now. But whatever they dare to boast about, Talking about these super apostles, I'm talking like a fool again. I dared to boast about it too. He's like, he's saying, guys, don't get caught up with the boasting of these super apostles because actually it's easy to boast about that. It's easy to, to bring yourself to a place where we can jostle and say, well, I'm as good as you and I can preach as well as you and I can prophesy as well as you. Those are all things that are man-made, man-established. They are they're, they're the riffing of humanity's standards that actually we, we can all embetter what we do as we continue to achieve the highest expression of gifting. He says, I can do these things, but my first point is this. To boast in yourself is a boast of folly. I can just hear Paul's frustration boiling over at this point. He's saying, you love these foolish boasters. Then I can do the same. I can also act like a fool. Anyone can do that. Paul's been backed into a corner in this instant, and he's saying, like, actually, do I boast or do I not boast? I know that I shouldn't be boasting, but how do I keep these people engaged? How do I help them actually see that anyone can boast? So let me boast a bit so that hopefully they can come on the journey with me so that I can land them with the truth. I just see Paul having to really wrestle around this. Paul is saying, I can't see, uh, can't you all see what's going on here? He's, he's, he's in a sense, can't you, are your eyes blinded? Can't you see what's happening? 
Have you all been blinded to what is really going on? Verse 20 just sums it up when he said, you put up with it when everyone enslaves you. Can you imagine being the listener going, are we enslaved? I didn't realize we were enslaved. Yeah, you're enslaved. He takes everything you have. What do you mean? Takes everything. Well, you guys are just giving stuff to these people and they're asking you giving. Takes advantage of you. Takes control of everything and slaps you in the face. Paul's there saying, snap out of it. Snap out of it. Guys, what are you following? What are you listening to? What are you loving upon? What are you trusting for? What, what is it? Is it? Is it centered around gifting of human expression or is there something of the realness of God? It's like you are blinded to the truth and you're just standing on the sidelines applauding, not truly seeing the true story. There is a children's story about the emperor and his new clothes. How many of us know that story? A few of us. Ah, you guys have read it. Set book and matric, no, grade 10, 11, 12, okay, cool. One day, two fellows calling themselves weavers came to town. They said that they knew how to weave clothes of the most beautiful colors and patterns. The clothes made from this wonderful cloth would be invisible to everyone who was unfit for the job he held, or who was very simple in character. These must indeed be splendid clothes, thought the emperor. If I had such a suit, I might at once find out what men in my kingdom are unfit for their job. I would be able to tell the wise men from the foolish, this stuff must be woven for me immediately. He gives large sums of money to both the weavers in order that they might begin their work at once. So the two pretend weavers set up two looms. They worked very busily, though in reality they did nothing at all. They asked for the finest silk and purest gold threads which they put in their knapsack. Then they pretended to work at the empty looms until late at night. The story goes on about how the emperor is anxious to know how his newfound garments is looking. So he chooses the top wise officials. He, he really recognizes, man, these guys will not be exposed. They are the wise of the wise. So let me send them to have a look at this new garment of mine. And so, of course, the wise of the wise, they arrive at this place where the so-called garment is being knitted or put together. And of course, they see nothing. But now there's this moment in their lives where they say, well, if we say we see nothing, then it could expose us that we are no longer wise that we no longer have, because that's what this garment does. It exposes people. And so what do they do? They say, wow, this is a splendid garment. It's beautiful. Beyond years. This is amazing. This is... So they bring this back to the emperor. The emperor is over the moon that this new garment looks so good. So what does he do? He chooses then to go and see for himself. So he takes those who are wise in his midst as they had been, and he goes to look. And of course, he arrives looking upon something of a nothingness. And he then doubts his own integrity and his own position. He thinks, well, this could expose me. So he looks upon it and he goes, this is splendid, beautiful. It's amazing. And everyone around is all agreeing. Why? Because everyone's scared to lose their position. And so they're all celebrating together. The news gets out. Newspaper articles are being written. Magazines. There's this new moment where the emperor will display this new cloak. The emperor walked under his high canopy in the midst of the procession. 
through the streets of his capital just in his underwear. All the people standing by and those at the windows cried out, Oh, how beautiful are our emperor's new clothes. What a magnificent train there is and the mantle and how gracefully the scarf hangs. As you can see, I'm trying to do the actions as well. No one would admit these much-admired clothes could not be seen because in doing so, he would have been saying he was either a simpleton or unfit for his job. But the emperor has nothing on at all, said a little child. Listen to the voice of the child, exclaimed the father. What the child had said was whispered from one to another. And then eventually, everyone said, but he has nothing on at all. How easily a narrative can deceive. How easily fear can deceive. Paul, like many of those lining the streets, celebrating and promoting the beauty of the emperor's clothing, could have just got swept up in the deception. The folly of boasting is something that he had no, had no substance, it had no substance, or, and it was invisible. But it is clear in this passage that Paul is fighting for his relationship and influence in the church. He could have walked away, yes. He could have just joined in on the, this journey of just accepting these apostles and accepting what they're saying. But it would be easier and less perhaps awkward for him to do so. But yet Paul speaks up. He doesn't boast in his own integrity, holding on to his own things. But he boasts for the gospel and the gospel only. Paul is addressing a people who have been swept up by a movement, a movement that is elevating and glorifying the supremacy of man rather than the supremacy of Christ. God's grace is actively on display through Paul as he is relentless in his pursuit of their spiritual well-being. I want to ask us as a church, are we relentless in our pursuit of the spiritual well-being of our friends, of our family, of our colleagues? Or do we find ourselves swept up where people are parading themselves in their underwear and we're just agreeing that it's okay. Boasting about their achievements, about their newfound expressions of identity, but yet we stand and we celebrate this moment because we in ourselves fear being exposed of who we really are. It's powerful. Are we there? <laughs> 1 Corinthians 11, let's carry on. Verse 22, it says, are they Hebrews? So am I. As they Israelites, so am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one, he even says. I'm talking like a madman right now with, with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I've received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. At night and day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from many other peop own people, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea. Have I said that already? No, I'm going to keep going. Dangers from the false brothers in toil and hardship through many a sleepless nights in hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is this daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Paul had quite an interesting life. My second point is this. The testing of our faith galvanizes our gospel convictions. The testing of our faith galvanizes our gospel convictions. 
Paul is saying in verse 22 to 23, you think your qualifications is based on your background or your degrees or, or how you were raised and the family that you were raised in or potentially even the nation uh, that you were raised in. He says, no, 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 that, that's not where it is. That's not where your qualifications are. Your qualifications are based here upon Hebrews 11 where it says, and without faith it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to, to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. That's what qualifies us to be followers of Jesus. Our ability to seek Him. Our ability to approach Him in faith and trusting in Him. Paul's gone through horrendous experiences. Paul's gone through disqualification. He's gone through shipwreckness. He's gone through just being uh, forgotten and beaten and tortured. You name it, as we just said it, but he sits and goes, hey guys, to be Christ-like is far more than just an experience out there because those experiences are galvanizing in me a conviction of who I am in Christ and I am a son and daughter of the Most High. Even though the surrounding of my life looks like it's in turmoil, I can truly say that I am a son and daughter, founded in who he is, in the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, that he saved me even though I was an absolute wreck, trying to kill those who believe in God, I can stand redeemed. That's what qualifies me. Not because of the schools or anything else of what man's expression of qualifications is. This is a God moment. It's a God moment of qualifying me based on the faith that I was able to endure through these times to please God only because He graced it upon my life to be able to stand again and fight again. Paul is correcting something in the hearts here and the minds of the church. He's saying Christianity is nothing, not something you use to get famous or live a good life. That's not what Christianity is about. It's something that brings you to a counter-purpose with your culture, the sphere of influence you find yourself in. That's what Christianity is about. That's what God calls us to. It will bring you to sacrifice and serve the way Jesus did, where your faith is galvanized and unmoved. I want to encourage us, church. This is not a heavy. This, is, this should turn up the Bunsen burner. It should turn up the Bunsen burner in our hearts to say, God, man, there is a galvanizing through what I'm going through right now that isn't to solidify my strength and my ability to endure, but it's be to solidify my conviction that actually truly you are still present in these moments. I remember as a 15-year-old when I was saved and as I was going through high school and people were choosing their careers, like, you know, subjects you have to choose. And I remember just sitting there going, all I wanted to do was, was plant a church lead people. And, and I remember sitting in quite, in a sense, immature, obviously, but immature in my faith, as my friends didn't want to do the same. It's like, where were you guys born? Surely if you believe Jesus and you love him, you should go and plant a church or do something like that. I was like, well, this is so weird. These guys didn't want to do that. I thought it was the greatest thing any human being could do. And I had to go on a journey because I believed a lot of things. I was passionate about a lot of things. I would call people out with regards to a lot of things. But as I find myself halfway through my life, I'm so grateful that just like Paul, I can share a few war stories of my own. I can look upon me, my life, and see that in a way, there were moments that it felt like I was shipwrecked. It was in moments where I felt like I was totally deceived and undermined. I even feel like there were moments in my life where it was I was accused of things, where I sat there and I went, that was not me. 
But what it did, it galvanized in me something of an, an expression of understanding that actually even though man sees me in a specific way, God, how do you see me? How do I stand, Lord God? Even though people would call me out on false accusations, God, I would stand again and I would say, God, what do I believe? What have you called me to? I remember a man standing before me and saying, you're not called to ministry. You should just go and do something else. You've got a no anointing, no call of God in your life. A man that I respected stood before me and said that. And I remember at that moment, I had to not go before other people. I had to go before God and say, God, but I thought this is what you said. I thought this is what you've called me to. I thought this is what I'm giving my life to. And I needed to go on a journey where God galvanized in me a conviction. I believe in God the Father. I believe in Christ the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the resurrection. I believe that Christ will come again. Oh, that Christ will come again. There are moments up in Joburg when I lived there and then these big thunder clouds would come. And I always used to think, not every time, but there were moments, I'd look at the rolling clouds and I would literally say, could this be you, God? I don't know if you've ever been in that place, but I have. Imagine the rolling clouds coming over the horizon and all of a sudden you, the appearance of Christ emerges. And he says, now it is my boy. Let's go. Do you ever think that? I've thought it many times. Imagine living in that generation when Jesus comes again and you and I are caught up and people say, oh, you know, he's definitely gonna come in this generation because we have technology so people are gonna see him. You know, how do New Zealand people see that Antarctic and stuff? I'm saying, how small is your God? How small is your God? My God, he holds the whole universe, let alone the earth, in the palm of his hand. And he needs to reveal himself through technology. Those Americans, oh my gosh. Sorry, Jack and Amanda. Oh, they're not here, so it's fine. All right, okay, cool. <laughs> I believe in the word of God, that there's nothing missing. I believe in the need for all men to be saved the forgiveness of sins. I believe the local church is the hope of the world. I don't care what rubbish is out there and what you've seen and where pastors have abused things and done stuff. I don't care. I still believe the local church is the hope of the world. I believe in planting and strengthening churches. I believe we should never neglect the gathering of the saints. I believe that the church is the bride of Christ. She is beautiful, even though we may look and say they're a bunch of hypocrites. Oh, yes, tell me a new story but she is beautiful. She's beautiful. She's beautiful, why? Because it's his bride. Who am I to vote? Imagine me going to, oh, maybe I shouldn't say it, but I was gonna say, imagine going to someone on his wedding day and saying, yeah, your bride looks ugly, man. <laughs> you should have chosen another one. Aish! Keep that veil on. We laugh, but that's how we treat the bride of Christ. We laugh at her. We accuse her. We point fingers. We belittle her. This is not, we, we're not the ones to vote. He loves us. We are beautiful in his sight. We are the bride of Christ. 
I believe that every Christian follower should serve the purposes of God. I believe in submitting to godly authority. God puts leaders in place. I believe in tithing and in being generous. I believe that God has a calling on my and your life, no matter who you are and no matter what your background is. I believe that our lives are not our own. I believe in the sacredness of marriage as something designed by God and not for us to adopt as our own preferences. I believe in sex is only for marriage as a covenantal picture of our oneness with Christ. I believe worship is a lifestyle and is for the audience of one. I can continue with I believe, I believe, I believe, but these are things, as I've listed them down, I'm telling you now, there's so many more, but as I've walked out my relationship with Christ, these things have been under the spotlight. These things have been under the pressure parts in my life. Questioning certain things, but yet galvanizing conviction again. I believe that one day I will stand before God and pay an account for my life. That's what I believe. I believe that with all my heart. As much as I have to walk through tough seasons, it has never been outside of the local church. I've sat in the back row, totally quiet, with my wife sitting next to me because of things that I have done that in a sense could have wrecked us for the rest of our lives, but yet we chose to remain in community, submitted to what God was doing. It was tough. It was hard. Yes, Mark keeping quiet for a whole hour and a half, very hard, but yet we did it, only because I have to say that the local church is the place where wholeness and healing will come. Through the gifts in the, in the church, I've been able to walk through tough seasons where my belief system has been strengthened again. I love Ephesians 4. It speaks about the fivefold ministry and the gifts in the local church, but what I want to extract here is this moment. Those gifts are there, why? The church is there, why? Then we will no longer be imitators like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of te new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. The church. And let me end off with this as we read the final section of this Corinthians. Verse 29, who is weak? And am I not weak? Who is made to fall? And am I not indignant? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, he who is blessed forever knows that I am not lying. At Damascus, the governor under King Aretas, that's how he pronounces, was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me. But I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. The third point is this. Our weakness points to Christ's strength. Our weakness points to Christ's strength. I can just imagine Paul around the campfire. Here is this guy who's gone through so much and his mates are like, how did you escape? Like, how did you get through the guards? Like, were you riding a horse? Were you shooting arrows, throwing spears? How did you escape as they pursued you? As they set the army to ambush you? Man, tell us. And I was just left down with a basket out the back window. Why? Because actually I'm petrified. I'm weak. 
and I know you want me to be someone else, but I'm not. I know you want me to be this conquering leader, riding out in victory, but actually I'm not. I'm weak. I'm frail. Verse 29, it says, who is weak? Who is made to fall? Well, we are all weak, and we are all susceptible to fall. You might be here this morning, and you have fallen. You might have fallen. That's okay. That's why we started this talk out with highlighting this incredible grace that comes to redeem us, to empower us, to forgive us, and to set us in a place of qualification again. I will never be good enough. I will never be strong enough. No, Mark McKinley will never be good enough, never be strong enough. My, maybe Meg will, but just, we'll never be. Never be outside of the sustaining power of Christ. I just want to call the musos up just as we, we're going to end off with a song that we ended off with Christ be magnified. But I want to highlight again just that as we sit in this place and as we respond to this message that, Lord, we don't want to boast in ourselves. That's folly. We don't want to be doing that. We don't want to be finding our own strength and our own abilities, God. We're we in, in the moment of testing right now. Maybe you find yourself in that place and you're saying, God, I want to give up. I want to give up. I don't believe anymore. This morning, I feel like there's a galvanizing that God wants to bring upon us, that there are the gospel convictions of what do we believe? What are we trusting for? What are we believing in, in the God-given moments of our lives that for a young man to stand and be faced with torment and brokenness and, and things that, that are facing them, that this is a moment to stand and to account for Christ again. And maybe in these moments, you're feeling weak, I wanted to say that Christ's strength is here in this place. He's here in your business. He's here in your home. He's here in your classroom. He's, the, the strength of Christ is present in our weaknesses. Michael Eaton says this, anyone who tells the truth will have to confess we would never be used in Christian ministry at all. If it were not for the overruling grace of God in our lives, we may as well admit it. Any blessing that comes to us is incredible to us because we know a little of what we really are. God's using us. God, God's using us comes through the incredible, marvelous, amazing grace of God. We are not success in ourselves. We are brands snatched from the fire, people who were able to ruin our lives when God had mercy on us. We are people who are embarrassingly weak with lives full of defects that ought to ensure we never are used by God at all. We have to admit it. If we are used at all, it is a miracle of grace. God has a lot of work to do in overruling our many weaknesses and giving us grace when we deserve the opposite. Let's all stand. I really feel there are... as we sing the song, Christ Be Magnified, I feel there's two people, two people groups this morning, that even as we worship, would you respond in this moment? Maybe today you need to stand because you need to respond 
you're needing God's grace in your situation. If that's you, why don't you lift your hands? You're needing God's grace in your situation. You say, God, that's me. I'm weak. I need you, God, right now. I need you in this place. And maybe for you, you've never come to the saving grace of Lord Jesus Christ. You've never given your life to Jesus. You've never come to a place where you've surrendered your all to Him. I trust that this morning you would respond. That you lift up your hearts and say, God, here I am. Take me. Use me. Save me in this moment. So Father, I pray just as we worship, as we lift up your voice, our voices in this moment, Lord God, that all hands raised that are weak, Lord God, needing of grace this morning, needing answers in prayer, needing breakthrough in our lives, needing, Lord God, revelation again, needing, Lord God, galvanizing again. I pray, God, that you would be magnified as Christ is magnified in this space. Thank you, Lord. to pray with you, um, whatever it may be, uh, response to this message or just something else in life, there's a team of guys that gather just outside this door on my right, and uh, you'll, they've got lanyards, you'll see them, um, yeah, just come forward and, and ask them to pray with you, stand with you in prayer, uh, thank you guys so much for joining us, it's been a great morning, thank you Mark.
I can't help but wonder if Faf de Klaak is wearing that emperor's cloak sometimes. <laughs> it's the speedo. Okay, don't worry. Um, don't rush home. Uh, thank you for joining us. There's tea, there's coffee. It's fantastic to hang out a little bit and just uh, make some connections. So, and if you're new, there's a brownie waiting for you right outside there. So, thank you. Have an awesome rest of your day. We'll see you next week. Thank you.